0: you're listening to text message the uk focused technology podcast with me nate langson and also me ian morris there he is ladies and gentlemen sitting there on the end of his chair combing his hair and thinking about well what are you thinking about i do have to brush my hair now in fact i had to steal my
1: daughter's hairbrush
0: because Mate, i honestly i feel at this point in our in our shows' life, you should at least afford a hairbrush, you cheapskate.
1: Well, that's true, but I've never needed a hairbrush before, and it's only because I still haven't had a haircut, which I desperately want. Um, How much that hair I do you have now? So, well,
0: so much hair. Is it Down shoulder to your length? Shoulders? Yeah, is it really. Yeah, you're, you're joking. No. Ladies and gentlemen, Ian has only ever had two hairstyles, to my knowledge. <laughs> one of them resembled Gary Rhodes, and the other one that resembled is unfair. The other one resembled Gary Rhodes if you sort of got out of a shower. Yeah, exactly. This is brand new information. We're going to have to come back to this a little later in, uh, well. The day when we're done podcasting. Because I think we should talk about some news. Uh, Your hair is not news, unfortunately. No, that's true. Uh, Nor was it on the BBC, unlike the following. Uh, Because the BBC wrote that people, that's you and I, Ian, if you haven't forgotten. Oh, are we? We are people. Spending an average of 4.8 hours a day on their mobile phones. This is according to app monitoring firm App Annie. Um... Now, this correlates with what Ofcom found, and I believe we I believe we talked about a couple of years ago, in 2020, in terms of the amount of time spent, although the Ofcom research also included actual TV viewing. So similar figures, but inclusive of TV. Now, similar figures, but without TV even being in the equation, and people still watch quite a lot of TV. Um, everyone can check this out by doing what John has just done in our live chat and looked at the uh, uh, screen time or Android equivalent. Um, But I went through the study that App Annie published. The BBC had written up um, along the lines of what we just described, that it's quite a lot of hours per day. I don't honestly find the 4.8 hours a day wildly surprising. um, But at the same time, it was, uh, it was a good way to dive into some of the deeper research underneath it. So I went into the App Annie marketing, uh, not marketing. Uh, basically, I signed up to App Annie to get hold of the, the full report. And fortunately, you can break down this report into uh, geographic segments, specifically the UK. And when you do that, I found that you learn an awful lot about the difference in generational preferences when it comes to apps, I've picked out and in fact have screenshotted in, in the script here and um a few trends mm. for 2021 and I thought we could we could go through a few of them um, I'm going to start with the obvious one here um, for rankings by market top apps for the uk um, the number one here, perhaps not surprisingly is the NHS app followed by whatsapp followed by TikTok. I don't find much of that particularly surprising. No. In terms of consumer spend for the UK, top is Disney Plus, then Tinder, then YouTube. Huh. So people are they're watching Frozen, then they're going for a one night stand, and then on the way back they're <laughs> watching some YouTube. Again, fine. I liked that number ten was Duolingo, the language app for Britain. So we're, we're, I'm we're, amazed that TikTok is number five. Yeah. Um, Uh, But that's for consumer spend, bear in mind. Yeah, that's Um, what I mean. Yeah, but well, it's worse for monthly active users. It's number nine, TikTok, despite being Mm. one of the most popular apps in the world. Um, Monthly active users, it's kind of unsurprising. Again, it's WhatsApp, Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, and so on. Not that interesting, but relevant to just get out of the way. So those sorts of trends are fairly predictable. What I found much, much less predictable about the usage habits of the British people over the last year in the app world um, are, uh, well the following I looked at the uh, banking stuff and finance now you might think, well that's going to be bloody boring isn't it? Well it might be but let's <laughs> but let's find out <laughs> because be right. in this study they broke out Gen Z millennials and boomers um, so that's people who aren't old enough really to have opinions i joke i joke millennials and uh, so the people around our age and, and then and and then boomers like our our parents and the number one finance app for gen z's for the kids is called cash app which i've never even heard of followed by I have. have you yeah okay followed but by only go, because it's a staple of youtubers
1: and stuff and people uh, in america mostly
0: got it followed by go henry then trading 212 then go monzo henry then Binance. So you're taught, you're looking at these very progressive uh neobanks or crypto and stuff as the top finance app uh, based on monthly active users in the UK. But when, when the you go hell is go Henry Exactly. Never even heard of it. But then you move to millennials. And honestly, the intriguing thing here is not which ones are number one and um. which ones are number ten. It's where you see the contrast between what the ages want. So that's for Gen Z. For millennials, the number one financial app is my Argos card, <laughs> not Cash App. And it's Capital One instead of Go Henry. And it's Experian the credit score app, Ooh. instead of Monzo, which I just think fascinating. But then when you move into the boomers category, the number one is m banking, <laughs> followed by a bonds prize checker,
1: yeah, followed nice.
0: by First Direct. Um, and later on, most of the other ones are things like Tesco Bank or Sainsbury's Bank nationwide. Um, it, it was really, really stark, and I found that fascinating not because it's necessarily surprising but just seeing it there in black and white um in terms of usage i think that's that's amazing um
1: i I, I, i'm well first of all uh, just a quick point um Mm. everyone should have a nsni premium bond if they can afford one uh it's a it's a great way of having a risk-free um chance at winning a million quid but like you put your money in the bond you leave it there it doesn't make any interest but occasionally you might win something and you can win a prize from like i don't know 10 quid or something through to uh, a million quid so everyone it, we need to introduce the kids to nsni savings
0: etc well, or or the yeah exactly kids or the millennials because apparently it's only boomers that care about bonds well that surprise doesn't surprise me my parents have a lot of premium bonds ah Okay so do you, you find that generally fairly understandable?
1: Yeah, I do. Um I'm I'm a little bit surprised that it, uh Cash app is a
0: thing in the UK because I actually didn't think it was. Not even just um, in the UK. Literally number 1 in terms of top being a top finance yeah. app by monthly active users. I mean, and and that that is interesting, but also interesting is the fact that
1: PayPal doesn't factor into this at all. Doesn't it? No, well, not oh no, he it like doesn't. It's not on there at all, which I think is really interesting because PayPal is huge. I mean, yeah. maybe it's a bit, maybe it skews a bit older PayPal, but it doesn't appear anywhere as far as I can see. Now that's odd because it's a big deal. You, I mean, you can pay with PayPal in an awful lot of places, so it, it's kind of surprising. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, maybe people don't find it that convenient. Like, you wouldn't bank with PayPal, so, but you might bank with Monzo, which makes it sort of understandable that's in there. But things like Binance or Binance or whatever it's said, and Coinbase being like the number five and number eight in the list, it blows my mind. Like, that is incredible well for anyone
0: um in other countries obviously we're only talking here about uk figures um willing we've got a link in the show notes at uktechshow.com slash episodes um go and find this report anyone can sign up and get it i i believe it didn't cost me anything to to download it um and uh and plug in your own country and, and see what you get and drop us an email hello at uktechshow.com if you find any uh any gold there that you wish to to share um one, uh, a couple of comments that have come in in our live chat while we've been talking. John says his kids have Go GoHenry. Uh, he says it lets me add money to their cash cards on a weekly basis. Also has money advice games they can play to learn about good finance. Mm, Which is a good idea. That's I, great. I know my daughter's got... um. Uh, debit card now I don't
1: know if it's to go Henry I I wasn't obviously involved That's this is the problem when you've a uh, divorced parent because obviously someone has to take charge of this thing and in this case it wasn't me uh, but it's a good idea I mean it, it uh, having some responsibility for money is a fantastic idea and, and something that was a lot harder when we were kids Yeah. Um, you know like I had a bank account but I had to go to an Abbey National with my little passbook and um, you know put money yeah. in or take money out and get it stamped and I'd the only way you'd ever know how much money you'd got in there is if you went to the bank and got them to re-update it and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, crazy times. But, obviously things have
0: changed completely. Well, the really funny thing is is I I would agree that historically I was terrible with money. And when I was a teenager, I signed up to get an Argos credit card with whatever its ridiculous rate of interest was um, and actually got into quite a spot of bother. And my mum had to bail me out, um, which I am permanently grateful for. And... (laughs) um, so seeing that it's still at number one for people in my age group, broad, though that age group is, uh, is unsurprising. But I also wonder how many of their parents had to bail them out because they bought a PlayStation even though they already had a PlayStation. <laughs> Moving on. Um, uh, the other, uh, Another interesting one that I picked out of this report is walking and fitness apps. Because obviously, fitness and health is something that does definitely change through uh, the life cycle of the human being. Um however i didn't expect what uh what i got when i plugged in the uk into this category so for gen z again this is top apps by monthly active users gen Z, the number one app is the flow period and ovulation tracker for millennials the top is nike plus run club and for the boomers it's COVID symptom tracker. Again, That's all they're using their phones for is COVID. Well, here's the thing. The second line on this, so number two, for Gen Z, it's Clue, another period tracker. For millennials, it's MyFitnessPal. This is the one that doesn't surprise me even slightly. For boomers, it's the Huawei Health app. Now, wow. that, to me, unless I'm proved wrong and pleased, email hello at com if i'm wrong about this but that strikes me as being sort of the using msn.com as your homepage equivalent to health apps like you were probably given or bought a uh, like a mid-range huawei phone that health app is on it by default mm. and that's why it's being used maybe yeah
1: i mean it's probably because i older people I mean this is gonna sound stupid I'm gonna say a couple of things now that are all gonna sound stupid okay so just bear with me I'm just gonna have to get over the fact that I am stupid (laughs) um that's that makes sense to me because I know that um as you get older obviously one of the things you really want to do is keep a track of how many steps you're doing um walking's a hugely popular activity with retired people I, I mean I don't want to say entirely because obviously everyone's different, but, you know, can only talk about the older people that I know, love love a walk outdoors, often get together, especially during COVID, where being outdoors together was sort of an easy way to be safe, but still have some, you know, contact. So that makes perfect sense. And obviously, you know, obviously, I guess people have got Huawei phones, which I guess is a surprise in itself. Uh, but the fact that it's, you know, uh, Huawei Health and Google Fit makes perfect sense to me, because, you know, those are two likely apps that, you know going to have on any android smartphone or a specific yeah. android phone and any other android smartphone um the other stupid thing i was going to say is what is going on with the gen z and the period tracking apps like that seems to me to be quite an inch i mean I, I i don't have any judgment on it because i'm not a woman and i don't have periods and so i'm obviously massively ignorant but is that particularly useful as a as a tool I I I, don't can, I
0: can I can tell you not as a woman but being married to one <laughs> that yes very much so they Fine. are um they're fascinating actually um not that I'm going to ask my wife to post a screenshot of hers in the chat but we do routinely look at them and it's 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 very interesting it is good uh, but yeah I mean three <laughs> of the top 5 Gen Z apps in terms of uh, uh for for health and fitness in the UK are all to do with period tracking. Yeah, I mean... And I, not, yeah, and also, none, yeah. none of which are in the millennial one or or the boomers no. category.
1: And, and and very little in terms of normal fitness tracking. But then I guess that would make sense because if you're young, you just have to worry less about the day-to-day step count because you're probably fit and you you know probably got all sorts of things going on, like going to the gym anyway. Yeah. Uh, whereas real, it, as you get a bit older,
0: you have to track every single step and be like, well, I did do 10,000 steps, hurrah for me just one of the things i found really interesting about this is that none of it is necessarily hugely surprising but when you see it in black and white like this um it's like gen z it's not so much worried that they're going to die but just checking that everything's on time millennials are like yeah probably still got time to not die early so let's do some exercise and then in the oldest generation they're not remotely bothered about um about period tracking because obviously for older generations that was not an issue anyway um, and it's it's more about COVID and checking symptoms it's just really really interesting um, one thing I just wanted to mention Adam in our live chat asked if there's no mention of Gen X uh, there is it's just that they um, App Annie grouped Gen X and Boomers to be one sort of massive generation so it applies to all Gen X people which is basically well, as far as they're it- concerned anyone over 45 Interesting.
1: Well, that's not quite right, is it? Because isn't Gen? What? What am I? I'm not a millennial.
0: You're Gen X. Just am you're... I? Yeah, because I'm at the very oldest end of millennial, and you're at right, the very okay. youngest end of Gen X.
1: Great. Okay, so I'm. I should be using one of those five
0: apps, none of which I use. Exactly, and I should stop using period apps. <laughs> um, although I have to
1: say, Kate has posted a
0: screenshot in uh, she has. In, the, in the Discord. So I
1: have I have one additional question: Does it use body temperature? Is that it what... does it, right? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It does. I didn't and realize it's... that that was a sort of an accurate um, thing.
0: But anyway, it's yeah. very interesting. It is. Well, one other thing that's interesting that I picked out of this um, for the. Um, uh, for the UK uh, App Annie study uh, was about was around jobs. And this one I would say is, I don't know, I found it maybe is a little depressing, um, but a lot of breakout apps, i.e. apps that got a surge in downloads were to do with finding a new job. Um, Sonic Jobs Search specifically was the number one. In the UK, that's what they call the job serve jobs, the breakout job searching platform for the UK. But lower lower down that list, you also include Indeed. You include uh, Deliveroo Rider, which is the sort of the uh, delivery side of the Deliveroo business, as opposed to the ordering side, um, which I I thought was quite um quite stark. You know, I'd love to see what this was for 2019. I didn't, I didn't see that. But in terms of growth, 2020 to 2021, job searches have obviously skyrocketed.
1: Yeah, I mean, no
0: surprise there. That, I mean,
1: there has been some discussion, hasn't there, about like everyone quitting their jobs and going off and I don't know, getting other jobs or not getting jobs at all. Um, there's a whole um, subculture in China that that is, is lie flat. Um, there's a whole generation of people who just are opting not to do any work at all and just uh, they'll do like two or three days a month or something to earn enough money to eat and then just do nothing the rest of the time Um, and I've heard a lot about other people quitting work and like you know just opting out not opting out but you know trying to maybe make their own way in the world rather than relying on someone else giving them a job uh, which I suppose is a a good thing but also you know switching jobs you know this this is part of the problem with the economy as it stands now you know people are not paid enough particularly in the uk i feel um so they're obviously going to just keep switching jobs because one of the good ways to get a pay rise is to change jobs one of the only times you'll ever get a pay rise but of course all these companies could sort of retain their talent by just sort of giving more fair monthly well you know more fair pay reviews and and sort of making sure that people want to stick around
0: well if you have been um if you found this very interesting and would like to give us your take please do send us an email hello at UKtechshow.com we'll include a link to this app Annie study and the bbc story that I first saw it written about in at uktechshowcom forward slash episodes look up episode 263 you will find the links in in, um, well, in there. Hmm.
1: It's uh, finally happening. BBC Three is going to make a return to broadcast TV next month with the channel relaunching on February the 1st, Uh, as it was before the channel is going to share its broadcast capacity with CBBC, with three starting when that channel goes to bed at 7pm. Uh, BBC3 of course was closed in 2016 as the corporation sought to reduce costs. Uh, With a young audience of course it made perfect sense for the streaming service to be available through iPlayer, Uh, but the BBC has a big problem now in that there are lots of young people not watching its services or not realizing perhaps that they're watching its services and they're hoping that bringing back a, a linear tv channel is it's going to help with that uh, fiona campbell bbc3 boss said this is a big moment with the new channel providing a destination for young audiences to discover more content on the bbc that makes um,
0: that makes a lot of sense does cbbc then go off air yes
1: it's yeah Yeah. it always has Uh, both uh cbb's and cbbc have always had like daytime slots and then bbc four and bbc three used to take over after they'd um shut down which when you think about it like it's such an old-fashioned way of looking at it because um i mean they are technically using the same broadcast spectrum but because they're digital channels they can appear on to be on completely different numbers so from a public perspective it's just like oh well that channel's off air at this time and blah 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 you know it, it, it kind of makes sense although for a lot of customers you know sky has children's channels that run 24 hours a day seven days a week so i guess it might make BBC, the bbc look a little bit old-fashioned
0: um but yeah it's um it, it makes a lot of sense i um i wondered what was the reason then for getting rid of it from terrestrial in the first place if it wasn't taking up extra spectrum well because they had to reduce costs
1: and um a big part of that was the programming budget i mean the broadcast costs are irrelevant almost i mean they're yeah. not they're not zero but like you said yes you've already got you you know the playout is all centralized anyway um you know you, you're only using one set of frequencies um there are probably epg costs when especially when you're dealing with sky and virgin so the bbc has to pay for uh, a channel slot on the epg so that m- some minor amount of money um in, b- in bbc budget terms at least um so yeah you know it was it was all about the cost of programming and f- i guess sort of having to because you, if you've got if you've got a, a scheduled channel you have to fill it with a certain amount of programming every year if you've got a streaming channel then if you don't want to commission anything for a month then i guess you don't have to um obviously that's not how companies like the bbc operate you know there has to be a constant flow of stuff but um even so it's you know it was a it was a big cost reduction um you know they were able to sort of move it online and give people what they wanted which was a sort of more netflix style service so i mean i'm with you i think it makes some sense i'm just sort of surprised given what the bbc is going through generally with budgets um and to contextualize that uh it's been announced that uh the uh, culture secretary, I, <laughs> I say that culture secretary. I've almost got to push myself to suggest that this woman has any culture at all. Uh, Nadine Doris has said that this the, that she's freezing the BBC licence fee this year, which, in real terms, when you consider inflation, could mean as much as a two billion, pro, uh, you know, cut yeah. in in funding um, over the next period. Um, and the BBC has never been more under siege, really, because... Um, the, gov- the Conservatives believe that the BBC is a left-leaning uh, organisation. The, lib- the left-wing believes that it's a conservative-leaning organisation. The people who voted to leave the EU think it's a Ramona institution. And the people who voted to stay in the EU believe that it's a Brexit-focused institution. So, I mean, if that doesn't say something about how generally good the BBC's impartiality is, when literally everyone hates it for exactly the opposite reasons... Uh, that I don't know what it does. Now, but, as, um, a,
0: as a journalist, that's always a sign that you've done your job properly. Well, that's because what I, I think. remember editing a big feature for Business Week a while. I mean, quite a, this is quite a few years ago, and there were sort of three main parties. No, it wasn't a political story, really. Three main parties, all of whom thought we would sort of given undue prominence to one of the others for some reason. And my point is, well, then we've done the job because you yeah. all think the other. So clearly. But it's unfortunately,
1: fine. we are in a we're in a sort of world now, aren't we where everyone just sort of goes on Twitter and has their opinions and goes on Facebook and has their opinions and i mean, I'm not saying that that's the reality for the most for most of the country, but it certainly is getting more cut through now than it ever has done and I've been someone who watches this regularly you know the people have been complaining about the BBC since before I was born um every government has to some extent hated it. I think you know if you look at the when the rot really set in, at the BBC was around the uh, Iraq War, the second time, the um, the dodgy dossier, mm. which uh, Tony Blair and his then uh, communications. Dude, Alistair Campbell, made an enormous fuss about when the BBC reported that the dossier was perhaps sexed up. Um, made a huge fuss about it, got a lot of people at the BBC fired, and then obviously it turned out that that was exactly what had been done. So, you know, this this battle has been going on for a long time, and I just, I don't know, I feel, I feel like it would be stupid to talk about BBC Three coming back and not say that the whole organisation is under enormous existential threat.
0: So where does this leave us? Because obviously the replacement the obvious replacement to a license fee is to move to a subscription model which on the very very in the in the most basic possible way does make sense to me if you mm. think completely openly and think, well, if there was a license, a subscription for the BBC, it wouldn't necessarily, therefore, only have to be for British people. It could then be opened up. Yes, I know there's BBC Worldwide that's, yeah. very, that's commercially armed, but I'm just thinking very, very broadly, there is a way that financially that could work yeah
1: no i mean i completely agree with you you know if it with a with brand recognition as strong as the bbc's if it wanted to go full bore on launching a global streaming service you know taking not only that content which it's produced over the last hundred years because the bbc is 100 this year a great opportunity for us to celebrate everything that it's achieved rather than threaten to shut it down or threaten to take away its primary funding source then yes i think you probably make a good point the bbc could you know Triple its budgets, go huge into um, global streaming, and and perhaps survive. However, that's like saying, "Well, why doesn't the NHS just charge a subscription fee?" You know, yes, it would be a way to make a lot of money, perhaps, um, but it it, it's not it's not what a public service organisation should be. It's it is about taking money out of the equation. So the bbc is very good and i and i've said this on twitter and i you know I, I watched um the netflix show death to 2021 which followed last year's death to 2020 uh it's a it's a show that was sort of loosely based on what charlie brooker used to do with his weekly wipe on bbc uh 2 or whatever it was um but it's a, it's a shadow of its former self it, it lacks the satirical bite it doesn't have that british sensitivity because it's now appealing to a global audience you know, what we need in this country, and, and someone made me laugh on Twitter said, you know, what is it exactly this government is proud of, for, you know, when they say Britain's the best country in the world, what exactly is it that they're thinking about when they say that? Because it's not the NHS because they're trying to ruin that. It's not the BBC because they're trying to ruin that. You know, what is it? And it, it made me laugh. But we need to have an organisation that is focused on the UK. We're living in an already quite global world i don't think it hurts us to have something and i'm going to sound like a bloody flag waver now but you know but there there is something to be said for having something that's british so you know if you take an idea like Brooker's thing for satirising the year and you add in an American audience well then suddenly you've got to take in all of what happened in America and pitch it to an American audience if you do it for Britain with a British audience then you can make it appeal to the the particular sense of humour that we have you know you can lampoon things in a specific way and you can focus on stuff that just wouldn't be of interest to anyone else if every broadcaster in the world just is global then all we've got is like a, a you know a handful of little things that you get, like, you know, you'll see something break out, like Squid Game, and be a huge success for South Korea, and, and, you know, plenty of other shows from South Korea, actually, there's a a couple of interesting things on uh, Netflix at the moment. But that's great, but they're not, you know, they're not, it's not the same as having a whole organisation dedicated to that country. So I think, you know, yes, you're right, you could probably turn the BBC into a global powerhouse, but that isn't really what it's about. It's in, it's a, it's an organisation that's designed to inform and entertain and educate. Um, and it does that extremely well. For all the blathering on about, you know, the news being biased or whatever, you I mean, it may or may not be. It may not do a good job. It may do a good job. But at the same time, Netflix is not about to get into local news. It, it, you know, Sky does news. It does a pretty decent job of it so just channel four but we're not going to see it from amazon we're not going to see it from netflix all we're going to really see is the continuation of good ideas happening and then global organizations taking them and running with them like great british bake-off is huge on netflix under its whatever the name of it is the british baking show or whatever um you know so we are not. We need We need British things on British TV. And I, again, I apologise for sounding a bit like a flag waver, but that's not really what I mean. I think global is fine and it's great. And I wouldn't change having Netflix, and Amazon Prime, but we've got to look I, after the BBC.
0: I mean, firstly, I don't think there's necessarily anything inherently wrong with being a flag waver as long as you're waving it for the right reasons, <laughs> well, yeah. which I think you are. However, I don't think they're mutually exclusive ambitions to have some British institution that's making... British programs for British people, but also that is of appeal to the US. I mean, there is a hu- the fact that BBC Worldwide exists is to mm. market and promote and sell and distribute British television content to other, pla- to other countries and on other channels and platforms. So the appeal for the content is there. You don't actually have to change the content at all. You- the only thing you're changing is how it's marketed and how it's paid for. The rest of it that- can basically stay the same. That is true. What you don't want is shareholders, because then you get into a very different, a different argument. But I feel, I I do feel, we're slightly veering off track. Much as I find this conversation fascinating, because I, Ian knows so much more about this than I do. But my final question is: just with BBC Three itself moving back to terrestrial, is that? I mean, it's you, you could be. I feel you could be forgiven for thinking it's a backward step, in that it's it's taking something that was using an old broadcast medium offline uh, online only to be future facing it's now going back therefore is it technically a step backwards and is therefore it less likely that the organization as a whole would take a step um forward by getting rid of such an archaic financing model as the license fee
1: (sighs) yeah i mean that's a uh, that's a really interesting question um Maybe it's I don't, hard to compare the two because... Well, it, it kind of is. I, I get what you mean. I don't think the objection to an, a more modern funding uh, situation is is the problem so much. Um, to answer the first part, is it a backward step? Yeah, actually, I kind of think it is. I don't I don't necessarily think that relaunching a TV channel is the smartest use of the BBC's money when it's under so much pressure to save money constantly. Um, you know, I think that this is... It feels to me a bit like... Um, they're worried because they're not reaching the the younger people. Now I don't know I don't know about that. I think I think people will find stuff if it's good. Like they didn't have any problem getting fleabag to a massive audience because people realized very quickly that fleabag was extremely good um and that was a BBC3 thing. It was, you know, it's just one of those things. If if you make something really good, it will take off. You know, the same as true as Squid Game. It it was just a show, like it, it took off because it's so interesting as a concept. Um, it for in terms of looking to the future for funding the BBC, um, it may well be that the license fee isn't the best way to do it. And I don't, and I think the BBC's argument has always been it's the least worst way. Um, and I kind of I kind of get what they mean with that. Um, a subscription would be difficult because it makes you can't you can't have services that operate in the public good for the whole public being paid for by a select few. It needs to be something that is a taxation thing. So, do you move it to a different kind of taxation so that it's not people forking out a, you know one hundred and fifty quid a year out of their own pocket? Does it come out of taxation so that? the less you earn the less you're paying kind of thing but you're still getting all the benefit arguably a much more fair way of doing it but then of course you introduce the problem that the government then gets a say in how it, how that money is spent so unless you're going to say right the bbc will now be governed by a completely impartial organisation to which the government has no say and we're going to give it this amount of money which will change every year based on inflation and no one can say anything about it until there's a you know until the law changes then maybe you could do it and that and that money could come out of some other kind of tax. But you cannot have a situation where the government is able to say, oh, you've done a lot of reporting on the parties at number 10. Uh, we're now going to say that not only is your licence free, frozen, but we're actually we're going to put a stop to it completely. Because how is any organisation going to be impartial when the threat of defunding is
0: looming over them at any stage? That is a very prescient note to end on. Um, and i think we'll stir up some thoughts in our audience if you are said audience and you have had said thoughts then do let us know hello at uktechshow.com let us know your views on anything but in particular the bbc well, I want to quickly thank patrons for supporting us directly, uh, such as Christian Steckler, uh, Kalanish, Chenami Worth. I do hope I pronounce your names right. Uh, you can join them and get the full version of text message ad-free, uh, join our live audience for every recording, and get our sister show Extra Message. You can learn more at patreon.com forward slash And if you're one of them, you're about to hear this week's third discussion story, all about Clarkson Hammond and May's Drive Tribe. It's at this point in the show, of course, that we want to check in with our good friend, Mr Tom Merritt, and find out what you've all been missing by only listening to us on a Sunday instead of him every day of the working week. This week on Daily Tech News Show, 3D printing OLED panels, Google picks on Apple for not supporting the RCS text message standard, why Wordle's creator refuses to make money off it, Second Life wants a second chance in the metaverse, and the truth behind the attack on Ukraine's websites. All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Ian, in our live chat, in our Discord, has just been posting photos that you took these, didn't you? Yeah. Of Top Gear Dog back when Ian was on... uh, On the show, Uh, we we had a good chat about Top Gear Dog and, in fact, behind the scenes of aforementioned (laughs) dogs. Lots of
1: photos of her just sort of um, sitting around not being very lively (laughs) this is exactly the problem and that's why she was never really on it for very long
0: well if those interest you or you want to hear that discussion do consider joining us as a patron patreon.com forward slash UK tech or if you would like to support us for free it's super super valuable and thank you to everyone who does it you can do so by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and I think on that note there's literally nothing else to say